0: Hi, this is Richard Lanford. I'm the red-headed preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. We are an open and affirming congregation within the United Church of Christ, and the first church organized in Skokie. Then it was called Nile Center. The Gospel reading, which is from John. Karen Christensen is our lector, and you'll hear her announce the readings. But before we go any further, please join me in the spirit of prayer. No matter what we are doing, O God, quiet our hearts and open our ears and minds that if you have anything to say to us, please make it clear, speak to us, give us the spirit of discernment. We give you thanks for this time and ask for your blessing upon it, not only for our sakes, but also for the sakes of those we may be able to turn and lift up. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, here are our scriptures and our homily. It is brief because it's a Communion Sunday for March 7th, 2021.
1: The first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. As I said a minute ago, the Hebrews are now at the foot of Mount Sinai, God is about to enter into covenant with them. Last week, we heard of God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah to make a multitude of nations from their descendants. Our story today begins with the Lord having saved those descendants from bondage, and now God calls for a certain way of life for his new covenant nation. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I will God and the jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or be even your resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, but rest in the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This ends the reading from the book of Exodus. Our epistle reading is First Corinthians, verses 18 through 25. Paul writes to a congregation very familiar with Greek philosophy and wisdom, contrasting wisdom and Jewish thought with what Jesus did on the cross. Paul writes, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will pour. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, the stumbling for our flock to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger and human strength. This ends the reading of the epistle. This morning, the gospel reading is John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. This is one of those familiar passages I mentioned at the start, but unlike the other three gospels who put this story in holy, John puts his version of this one much nearer the start Jesus' public ministry. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and dogs, and the money changers seeking at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Here ends the reading from the gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. Today, we have... Jesus in what, for some of us, is an
2: uncomfortable life. There he is, flipping over the tables of the money changers after he poured out the coins of the money changers. He poured out the coins of the charge and then then flips over their table. He draws out the animals for sale for temple sacrifice with the whip of cords and yelled at everyone to clear out. We heard Karen read the words, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a market. If you have heard sermons on this story, I imagine at least some of them, faithfully, are about Jesus trying to cleanse or purify the temple of these persons and practices that desecrate them. They may have been cheating Passover pilgrims
1: with overcharged
2: currency exchange and high animal prices after somebody else in cahoots decided the animals they brought for their Passover sacrifice were not good enough. They were unrighteously preventing any Gentile who wanted to pray to the God of Israel to do so in peace, for they were in that same noisy, smelly court. They were making money off the God, they were making money off the God business in God's very temple courts, taking advantage of Passover pilgrims, and Jesus wanted to end all of that unrighteousness. His words and actions back that up. And I preach these sermons. I have no regrets about preaching these sermons. Today I want to preach on something a bit bigger. Jesus was not really all about cleansing the temple on any kind of regular basis. What he was about was replacing the temple and the whole temple system by his upcoming crucifixion and resurrection. What was the centuries and centuries-old established way of approaching the Lord, making animal sacrifices and offerings to get right with God and to make sacrifices and offerings of thanksgiving and so on, along with the court's access becoming ever more restrictive the further into the middle of the temple one God. That was all about to be superseded by what Jesus referred to in the Last Supper as the New Covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. It was nothing short of revolutionary in the spiritual and behavioral realm, not only of Israel, but all who seek out Israel's God, the maker of heaven and earth, El Shaddai, Adonai, Elohim, Messiah. What sign can you show us for doing this? This was what the surrounding Jewish people who stuck around asked him. It was close to Passover, as we heard, and that was when it was thought that either precursor Elijah and or Messiah, too, would appear to Israel. There was not automatic condemnation of what Jesus did, as I interpreted, but vivid curiosity if not also anger and fear. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said it. The temple and all it stood for with its ceremonial washings and animal sacrifices, teaching of Torah pre-Jesus where Jews were taught about the Lord and were reconciled with God through the sacrifices and offerings was not going to be physically destroyed until 70 AD by Titus, Tiberius, and Vespasian, Jesus was not talking physically, but spiritually. No longer would the temple and its system be the way people approached God, knew God's forgiveness, and learn the Torah. No longer would there be an increasing an increasingly exclusive inner circle of courts where fewer and fewer faithful servants of God would get to get closer to the holy of holies where it would believe God dwell. No longer would persons run the risk of being turned away if the elders, the priests, Sanhedrin, and scribes found worshippers unclean, you know, like the shepherds, the Samaritan women, lepers tax collectors and sinners. That was all going to go away in the eyes of Jesus God. That system had had its God-ordained day. And now the new temple was his body, crucified and risen. In Christ, one finds the power of God to save, the wisdom of God revealed to faith. In Christ, we are reconciled to God and encounter profound mercy and grace. In Christ, we are transformed by such self-sacrificial love. In Christ, one finds the love of God made plain, made accessible to all, covering all our sin and showing all the way of life under God. Not just the externals of the law, but the internal of the heart that matches it and is behind it. Paul later wrote, not only is Christ crucified, the power of God for salvation, not only the power of God and the wisdom of God, also his mindset fall urgent upon Christ's disciples in Philippians 2. Have this mind among you, in Christ crucified and resurrected, authoritative teaching fulfilling the Torah and also new commands. A different kind of encounter with God can occur when one sees God coming to us as Jesus, one who knows our pain, loneliness, suffering, and being misunderstood, our abandonment by friends. And experiencing the love of children, a relatable Savior, who came in love, died in love, power, and was raised in power and love, although seen having died in Him, In Him, not even the Holy of Holies will be needed any longer. We remember this new covenant, this Son of God, this new way of encountering God's mercy and become one with Him somehow through the Sacrament of Communion. This dramatic event, then, is not only a prophetic protest against temple desecration in more ways than one, it is a declaration of the ultimate paradigm shift a fulfillment of sorts, a radical orientation from a system of building animal sacrifice, ceremonial laws dictating worthiness, and restrictive access to God to Jesus, crucified and risen. When we turn to Him in faith and pray for the Holy Spirit, who's already within us because we have faith, there's this interaction that's hard to theologize about faith and the Spirit both coming in and one making the other possible. When we turn to Him in faith and pray for the Spirit, our own journey of change into to be more and more like Christ begins. The church began to spread after Pentecost, despite persecution and also because of its witness during persecution. It grew and grew and grew. It changed people, families, villages, and even emperors. Churches started monasteries where culture and arts were preserved during the dark age. Churches started hospitals and academies to benefit their community. To this day, the daring work of faithful Christians changes other lives and even Jesus announced the coming system change with a tumult in the temple. Justice and grace caught fire and expanded. Do we have any parallels today? Are there places a visit like that of Jesus so long ago would benefit society, if not the world God so loved?
0: that message was a bit of a different one for me because i had never thought about preaching on the um, kind of common in scholarly circles the uh, the temple as an institution being put on notice by jesus tumult in the temple and in that regard it does make some more sense for it to be during holy week John has his reasons I didn't bother to go into them. In fact, I did not have any commentaries on John at home with me when I wrote the sermon or the message. But I decided it was time to address the idea of systemic change and that Jesus was in his own way about that in terms of salvation. And if there are other ways, we might faithfully apply that. Something to think about. So I hope you enjoyed this message um, as much as I enjoyed preaching it. Next week, we're going to look at uh, not another covenant passage in the Hebrew Scriptures, but something about a serpent that bites and then heals when you look upon it in faith. And Jesus, also being like the Son of Man, lifted up so that those who believe, look up and believe, may have eternal life. So I hope you can join us then. This has been the sermon for March 7th. And next week, of course, will be that for the fourth Sunday in Lent, March 14th, 2021. Thanks for listening. God bless your week. Bye.